Hello, this is Sean Dixon, and I'm here with Brian Patterson and John Gonzalez. We are each returned mission presidents for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and this is the Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast. We are here to help prepare you to become successful Preach My Gospel missionaries and lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. In each episode, we explore powerful concepts from every chapter in Preach My Gospel. We will talk to returned missionaries and others about their experiences and insights. You can even use this podcast to get institute credit. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We're excited to continually be adding new listeners to our journey through Preach My Gospel. We hope this is helping to increase your desire to serve the Lord and and His children. As has been mentioned, uh, if you have any feedback, please feel free to email us at preachmygospelpodcast at gmail.com. So today, uh, John and Brian and I are joined again by Emily Wright, one of our fellow mission prep teachers here at the Utah Valley Institute. Emily, we're, we're glad to welcome you back to the, to, the, to the podcast again. Thanks. It's good to be here again. Yeah, you, you, your, your voice adds some nice contrast to the voices of three old men. So it's, it's super, super good to have you with us today. Today we'll be focusing on teaching lesson number three, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, it seems like we've actually taught this lesson before, right? As we've gone through the previous two lessons and talked about our missionary purpose, this idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ keeps coming up. And we'll know that a missionary is doing it right when they feel the same way, that they're continually focusing people on the doctrine of Christ. John, tell us kind of why... Why do you think that's an important way to teach the lessons? Just as a reminder, I know we've gone over that briefly, but what are your thoughts? Well, everything we teach is the doctrine of Christ. The first lesson is really talking about the restoration of this knowledge through the prophet Joseph Smith. Uh, The second lesson is why it's so important and what does it have to do with our purpose here on the earth. And now we're really getting into what does it mean for you and I, and especially for the investigator, the individual who is listening to the missionary, what does it mean to have faith in Christ and in his atonement? How do they go about doing that? Absolutely. The how part is, is a big part of what we'd be doing today for sure. And as you read the Book of Mormon, you you see the Savior focused on the doctrine of Christ, of helping people return to the presence of his Father. That was his primary purpose, so we never want to get too far away from that. I love Nephi's comment toward the end of his ministry, where he's talking about, of everything I could say, of everything I could talk about at the end of my ministry, he focuses in on the doctrine of Christ. Because this is the way. And there is no other way. There's no other way. This is the, the way that's, that somebody becomes saved. And, and the words that Nephi uses in, in 2 Nephi 31 verse 2 is, I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. I love that. I must. As a missionary, I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. And also at the, like right after that in that verse where also where he says, I'll speak unto you plainly. Um, I think it's really important that as missionaries, as we're teaching people, that we help them see um, very simply the doctrine of Christ, that we don't overcomplicate it. And it's really easy to use words that we use in our culture and, and what we share as a church that can get really confusing very quick for the people that we're teaching. So we just want to keep it very simple, direct doctrine of Christ. I love it. Uh, I want to ask you all a question. Um, we, we want to consider our missionary purpose whenever we teach a lesson. So as we approach teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to ask the question, what is the difference between helping someone come unto Christ and become converted to his restored gospel and merely helping someone become a member of the church? I think at times we, th- we think of our purpose here is to, to help someone become a member of the church and get baptized so we add someone to the roles of the church. What's the difference here that you see um, between having a focus on helping them become unto Christ? I think if you're not careful as a missionary, you get caught up in my role is to get another number. 
it's important to find those who are prepared and find as many as you can. But I can get caught up in it's a number, and so all I'm looking forward is that you accept my message, join the church so I can move on, as opposed to my role is in helping you internalize and changing your life so that you can really benefit from the atonement of Jesus Christ and change your life for the better. Any thoughts, Brian, on that? Yeah, in Preach My Gospel, chapter 1 on page 9, uh, President Dallin H. Oaks said, We do not preach and teach in order to bring people into the church or to increase the membership of the church. We do not preach and teach just to persuade people to live better lives. We invite all to come unto Christ by repentance and baptism and confirmation in order to open the doors of the celestial kingdom to the sons and daughters of God. That, that altogether is a much higher purpose to bring them back into the presence of God. That, that could get me excited as a missionary. If I have to grow an organization, I'm going to be less driven than if I can help brothers and sisters of mine to, to come back into God's presence and enjoy eternal life. And I'm not a salesman trying to sell a product. I'm a teacher called by God to help his children come to a knowledge of God and make changes in their lives. In October 2016 General Conference, Elder Oaks said, feelings about our church follow conversion to Jesus Christ. They do not precede it. Many who are suspicious of churches nevertheless have a love for the Savior. Put first things first. So I think a good caution is, as missionaries, that we speak more of the Savior and maybe a little less of the church. Not that the church isn't important. That's where we have the priesthood. That's where the ordinances are housed. But our ultimate aim and our ultimate goal is to bring people to the Savior. If you go back to page 61, back to your initial question, Sean, your purpose. As you teach, help people prepare for baptism and confirmation. And then it goes down the baptismal interview questions and the invitations. Does this individual really believe in God? And what does that mean, I believe in God? Does this individual believe that Christ is the Son of God and Redeemer of the world? What does that mean? Exactly. Because the respondent could say, yes, I believe, great, check the box, let's move on. That's, that's a great focus. So, Emily, I want to ask you a question here. Uh, think of yourself back in Florida, back on your mission, and you've taught two previous lessons and have maybe met with your friends several times. And during those lessons, you've extended invitations like an invitation to read the Book of Mormon or an invitation to, to pray and find out if the Book of Mormon is the Word of God and if this is God's restored church or perhaps an invitation to attend church or even possibly before this point, the invitation to be baptized. Why would it be important before you jump into this next lesson to take some time to review the commitments that they've made and how they've been doing it at accomplishing those, those invitations? I think it helps the people that we are teaching uh, as our friends just to show them that we care about them, you know, that we're following up, that this is meaningful, that this isn't just like a checklist, but it's more for their personal salvation exaltation and that I would see us as representatives of Jesus Christ and as individuals that we are teaching his doctrine he would do the same thing like he would definitely be following up and saying how is it going what can we do to help you and when we center it on Christ and recognizing that he really is the one giving these invitations it's not us it changes everything and it keeps your perspective and your focus that's like this isn't a number game this is individuals. These are real people that we're trying to help change and come closer to Christ. Love that answer. Any other thoughts? If they are not praying, it makes no sense to continue without stepping back and helping that individual get into a pattern of prayer. Because at the end of the day, everything we're teaching here, they have to receive an answer to. They have to have that connection with heaven. And, and oftentimes... Missionaries will say, have you been praying? And the person is saying, yes, okay, check that box, let's move on. As opposed to, uh, Brother Jones, uh, let's start this uh, lesson. Would you offer a prayer? And Brother Jones has, no, no, I feel uncomfortable. Well, right there is an indication 
that maybe we put this on hold a little and uh, maybe we just focus on the meaning of prayer. And I think there's a difference between asking, did you pray? And they say yes, and then you move on and saying, tell me about those prayers. What, what did you experience as you were, as you were talking to God? What, what answers do you feel that you received? Or did you read the Book of Mormon? Yes, versus, oh, awesome. Tell us about it. What, what did you learn? What did you like? And th- those follow-up questions will really give you an understanding if they're progressing and growing their faith or if they're merely just kind of going through the motions of this. And as, and as we help them uh, fulfill these commitments, uh, the Spirit grows within them, their desire to learn increases their capacity to be open to future teachings uh, that the missionaries will provide. Is there People that are keeping commitments in the missionary lessons will be prepared later to keep covenants that they make with Jesus Christ. This is the way that we become converted to Christ and build faith is through action. And, and we'll actually be talking about that as we get further into this lesson. And I, and I would say we don't want to tell individuals that there's a hard, fast rule to do it one way or the other. Right. As opposed to being aware of their role is to help them have a relationship with their Father in Heaven and by what they are teaching to have them feel the sense that they need to make changes in their life, this is what they want. That's their role, to connect them with heaven. Great point. As you look in the Your Purpose box, as you're preparing to teach this lesson, one of the things that I think is critical for a missionary companionship to understand is that by the end of this lesson, if they haven't done it already, they'll be extending the invitation to be baptized. And that's, that's the granddaddy of all invitations, I think, as we go through these lessons. And so I've got to teach this lesson in such a way that the person I'm teaching, my friend, is prepared to be able to answer that question, right? And so I'll, I'll keep that in mind as we go. So one of the big problems we face as mortals is that we, we sin. And there's actually a box on page 62 in Preach My Gospel that talks about sin Um, And it says here, the notion of sin means different things in different cultures. Uh, But what we need to understand is that sin is disobedience to God's commandments and results in us becoming separated from God. And that's just the reality of life, that we're going to sin. And so I love that, that one of the parts of the divine mission of Jesus Christ is to help us to overcome that obstacle. Brian, as, as you look over that, that section called the divine mission of Jesus Christ, what do you see in there that, that Jesus did that helps us to overcome that problem of, of sin? Yeah, because we're mortal and because we're very human, we all make mistakes. And God hasn't anticipated that we would come into this world and not make mistakes. He fully prepared a plan that allowed us to overcome uh, the sin that we would all commit, as Paul said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we all fit into that category. However, uh, we also learn from the Book of Mormon that no unclean thing can dwell in God's presence. And so with sin in my life, it cuts me off from God. And there's a law that says that there are consequences for my choices, for my actions. It's called the law of justice. And, and, and so because of that, we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer, someone that can and has the capacity to help us overcome our past mistakes, someone that can, can take upon himself those mistakes. And we call this, of course, the law of mercy, uh, that Heavenly Father can apply mercy without punishment from us uh, because of Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. That then can allow us to enter back into God's presence. And I think it's important for the missionaries to understand, back on that box on sin, on page 62, it reminds us to clarify that sin is disobedience and results in being separated from God. So missionaries need to make sure they're teaching this lesson in such a way so that the individual who they're teaching understands that some of their actions keep them from ever returning to their Father in Heaven. 
without some action on their part to accept Christ's role and what he did for them and then to make certain changes and behaviors in their life to benefit from what Christ did for them. So hopefully, inevitably, the question will be, wow, Jesus did this for me. He atoned for my sins. He, he took my sins upon himself. What is it that I need to do now in order to take advantage of this sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ so that I can be saved? And I think that's where we then transition into the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and start talking about each of our roles. I think it's important for missionaries to understand to use the Book of Mormon because it does contain the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Emily, as we as we transition into the, the first aspect or the, the first step in somebody coming unto Christ, which is, is faith in Jesus Christ, talk to us about what you think are some of the most important things for us to, to teach uh, somebody so that they can grow their faith in Jesus Christ. There's so many things here, you know, and honestly, at the end of the day, I think it's the the friends that we're teaching, it's their relationship with Christ and strengthening that that will make all the difference. And so it's whatever we can do as missionaries to help them increase their faith in him and recognizing that it's really, uh, it's his efforts. It's, it's not so much ours. It's not like, okay, if you do this, this, and this, and then God will step in and help you. It's more of um, a quote I was thinking of. Elder Maxwell gave this a while back, back in 1995, October 1995. It's called Swallowed Up in the Will of the Father. And he says, in conclusion, this mission of one's will is really the only uniquely personal thing we have to give to God. The many other things we give, brothers and sisters, are actually the things he's already given or loaned to us. So I think if we can help them see that that faith in Jesus Christ is our will, our action, our intention to continually turn to him, that's huge. That's a game changer. And everything else will come as we keep turning to him. So let's say you're teaching someone who has an addiction that is difficult and it's plaguing them. Just keep pointing them to Christ and helping them see that as you exercise your faith in him and you're really having this heart and this attitude of God, I give everything to you, that's gonna he's gonna start changing you and helping you. Elder Bruce Omerconke made a statement that applies not only to the missionary, but really to those they are teaching. He said, Faith is a gift of God bestowed as a reward for personal righteousness. It is always given when righteousness is present. And the, greater the, and the greater the measure of obedience to God's law, the greater will be the endowment of faith. And so for those they are teaching, the more they change whatever they're doing and, and move away from uh, sin, the greater bestowal of faith in Christ will come to them. I love that. It says in here, Preach my gospel on page 63. Faith in Christ leads to action. I see it's like the, the engine inside that, that drives us along the covenant path because I love Jesus Christ so much and I trust him and I have faith in him. I want to follow what he has to say. I think of Peter in Matthew 14, verses 22 to 32, when he's on the boat and Jesus is out on the water and Jesus looks at him and says, Come. How does Peter get out of that safe boat and walk out onto the water? He has to be driven by this inner trust in Jesus Christ. And that was sufficient in Peter that it enabled him to, to take that difficult step out into the water. And really, that's what we're going to be asking our friends to do is to take this leap of faith, to trust Jesus Christ enough when he says, come, for you to be willing to get out of your comfort zone, to get out of your boat, and to take that step forward. Without faith, they're not going to have what it takes to make those choices to, to change their lives. I think it's also important to note that many people confuse the word faith with belief. Many times you'll ask someone, do you have faith in Christ? And they say yes, where in reality they believe in Christ. I can believe in Christ and not really have faith in him. I really, back to what you were saying too, Sean, in Preach My Gospel right there on page 63, I love how it also follows with having faith causes us to try as hard as we can. And I don't think try is perfection. Try is consistency. 
So as we keep trying to turn to him, I think that's really key here and that he'll help us and strengthen us throughout the process. Love that. I want to give you an example, give an example to the listeners of this. I want to play a clip from one of my mission prep students. Her name is Sadie Thomas. And in class yesterday, she shared this experience. And I'd like us to just listen to the clip and then will each of you identify how Sadie's journey here is an example of what it looks like to exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can talk about it and, and give a certain understanding, but when we actually see it in action, I think it helps a lot. So let's listen to Sadie and be prepared to consider how she represents here faith in Jesus Christ. Hi, I'm Sadie Thomas. Um, I basically have been back and forth about whether or not I should serve a mission for a very long time now. And I was consistently praying every single night. I felt like I wasn't really receiving an answer and I didn't really know what to do. And Institute kept coming back to my mind. And um, I had schedule conflicts and I couldn't make it to this class or anything. And then I finally was able to find a class that I could get into that was mission prep. And I went for the first time last week and I went in with a prayer in mind and I was hoping to find a desire to serve through that class or at least know if I should be serving. And the second that I walked into the class, I felt a peace surround me and I felt really, really emotional, which is how I feel the spirit. And I, I felt like the spirit was very strongly telling me that I needed to serve. And I had gotten previous promptings before, but that's probably the most significant prompting I'd ever felt. And um, after that, I felt inspired to go to the temple the next night. And when I had gone to the temple, I ended up just sitting and staring at the temple and crying. And I was listening to talks and reading scriptures and everything was telling me that I needed to serve. And I don't really know when I need to serve. I just know I need to. And I know the Institute and the temple were what brought me to that realization. What are your thoughts? How do you see faith in Jesus Christ in the story of Sadie Thomas? One of the things is that she was consistently praying. So she, she had this desire and she went to the Lord on a consistent basis. She didn't just pray once. And she had faith that answers would come. And in this case, the answer that came was a word, institute. He didn't give her the end of the story. He didn't give, the Lord didn't give her all things. He simply gave her the next step. And she acted in faith by responding to the answer that came to her prayer. She went to institute. I, I think it's marvelous how it, this demonstrates the Lord's role in not giving it all to us at once. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. And she acted on that, and then the greater knowledge came. And she went to Institute and got the next, she got this strong feeling, the strongest impression she'd ever had in her life. And where did that compel her to go? To the temple. And she went to the temple. Here she is acting on each step. She goes to the temple, has this emotional experience at the temple. And then I love, after that, she said, I started to listening to talks and reading scriptures and at the end of the day, the answer became very clear. And now she's ready to act on faith and go on a mission because she engaged in this process. And I, th I think I can visualize this same thing playing out with the people we're teaching in the mission field, where we're giving them the tools that they need to act. Some of these, these commitments or invitations we talked about at the first of the lesson, as they engage in these actions, they'll start to have impressions. They'll start to experience... A, a mighty change of heart. And, and as that begins to happen, it naturally just flows into a desire to repent. And right? if we could just take a sidestep for a second and remember that these invitations that we're extending to individuals, you can't pile them all on at once. You know, extend the invitation and let that person work on the invitation to grow in order to then extend the next invitation. Uh, because this example that we see from Sadie, it, she, she took these steps 
And then as her feelings grew and as her knowledge grew, she took additional steps that added on to each other. I think at times when we extend too many invitations all at once, it overwhelms the individual and uh, then they're, they're less likely to make the progress as Sadie made. Brian, you brought to our attention the recent Instagram post of Elder Bednar where he explains exactly what Sadie has done. Let me sequence a couple of things together. Faith is a principle of action and of power. Please note the sequence. First, we act in accordance with the teachings of Christ. Then we are blessed with his power. Faith comes by hearing the word. So how do I increase my faith in Christ if faith is a principle of action? We study his word. We learn about the Savior, about his nature, his character, and his attributes. We listen to the teachings of prophets and apostles. We study the Book of Mormon and we learn about him. Then we do what he instructed us to do. Faith is a principle of action and of power. I think sometimes we believe that faith is this ethereal uh, kind of ambiguous thing that just descends upon us. Elder Anderson has taught that faith is a decision. So as we act in accordance with the teachings of Christ, then we are blessed with his power. And as we act in accordance with his teachings, our faith is increasing. You know, in just a little over 60 seconds, Elder Bednar has taught this concept beautifully and with clarity. Love it. Love that. I love how it also follows with having faith causes us to try. What do you all see as the connection between exercising faith in Jesus Christ and repentance and repenting of your sins. I love what it says on page 64, preach my gospel. Our faith in Christ and our love for him lead us to repent or to change our thoughts, beliefs, and behaviors that are not in harmony with his will. Uh, one thing I love about the Book of Mormon is it teaches so clearly faith unto repentance. Notice here, as, as King Benjamin was teaching his people, they began to feel the Spirit, much like Sadie, the Spirit was prompting them to act. And it says, And they had viewed themselves in their own carnal state, even less than the dust of the earth. And they all cried aloud with one voice, saying, Oh, have mercy, and apply the atoning blood of Christ, that we may receive forgiveness of our sins, and our hearts may be purified. For we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They acted in faith because they believed and they knew that Christ could forgive their sins. And that led them to a place where they could repent. There's the other statement in that same section, Brian, where it says that repentance includes forming a fresh view of God, ourselves, and the world. And when we repent, we feel godly sorrow and return to him with full purpose of heart. I think many missionaries will experience an opportunity where they find the husband and wife are not married uh, and uh, they've been they have children and they've never married and many times the missionaries will kind of just say well all you need to do is go get the license and get married and 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 that's it that's the change of behavior right. as opposed to helping them understand that what they have done is wrong and then they need to have that sorrow come unto Christ and have that full purpose of heart to make it right and then change the behavior. They realize that their behaviors are out of line with, with God, and so what they're doing is they are turning away from sin, not just stopping sin, but they're doing the full 180 turn towards Jesus Christ and begin to follow him, and that faith is driving them to be willing to make some significant sacrifices now to, to maybe quit smoking or drinking coffee or some of the things you've talked about. Emily, what are, what are any further thoughts you have about this repentance process and insights that you could add? Yeah, I really like towards the end of this section in Preach My Gospel, page 64, 
where it starts with, even after we have accepted Christ and repented of our sins, we may fall short and sin again. I think it's really good to help the people see that we're teaching that we're human. And even as missionaries, <laughs> we're doing a daily repentance. This isn't a one and done and you've come to Jesus and now we're good. It's a continual improvement of trying to correct the things that we've done that are wrong and also just trying to improve and change, you know, like just becoming like him. This is a lifetime process, but to not get discouraged by it, but to recognize that like the Savior is here to help us and that we should have hope and joy because of him. Process. That we're not alone. Yeah, yeah. It's a total process your entire life. It's so important to teach it that way because otherwise, I mean, we're asking people to make massive changes. And in many cases, they didn't even realize what they were doing was was necessarily wrong and and it could take a while and they may not even be perfect after baptism and if they truly understand repentance they'll be they'll be grateful to know that yes I just made a mistake I I I, I smoked again or something but thanks to the gospel of Jesus Christ I can turn back to Christ and he can help me to to overcome that eventually and I think with that thought too to be patient with them and with yourself and your companion like don't think that because they aren't progressing on the timetable you want them to progress, that they're not progressing. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people, it just takes a little bit of time and we just need to have faith in Christ that he knows them perfectly and he's in charge of this process. One of the things that missionaries can do to help people repent is to teach them how to repent, to teach them how they turn and exercise faith unto repentance uh, the Book of Mormon helps us understand that, that our initial steps to repent often require that I pray to my Heavenly Father. I love what Alma teaches his son here in Alma 38, verse 8. And it came to pass that I was three days and three nights in the most bitter pain and anguish of soul, and never until, I love that word until, I did cry out unto the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy, did I receive a remission of my sins. Behold, I did cry unto him, and I did find peace to my soul. I think of this, this couple you were talking about, John, who a missionary might say, well, all you got to do is get married. No, that couple needs to get on their knees and say, Heavenly Father, what I've done is wrong. They need to pray, and they need to ask Heavenly Father for forgiveness. If we can teach people how to really repent, and that starts oftentimes with prayer, and say, Heavenly Father, and we might have to give those we're teaching some words to know how to do that. They, they may not know how to do that. So I might model that for a couple or for an individual. When I recognize that something I'm, I've done is wrong, I might get on my knees and say, Heavenly Father, how I've been living is not right. And I'm beginning to recognize that. And the missionaries are helping me to understand that. Will you forgive me? Will you, will you forgive me? I want to be different. I want to be better. I think then uh, someone that we're teaching can say, oh, now I know what I can do. I can act in faith. But if we don't help people get on their knees and ask and, and even plead and beg Heavenly Father for mercy, as we see here in the scripture, they never really will get that forgiveness of their sins and experience the peace that comes from repenting. So if they do return back to sin, they can remember what that felt like to repent. And I can go claim that promise again. What you're talking about there is coming unto Christ more than just what Elder Renlund calls miserable behavior modification. It's I'm coming unto him for the help. And we're talking about what President Oaks has said, conversion. We're, we're seeing the conversion process happen. So picture if somebody has faith in Christ and they've humbly repented of their sins. They understand what, what each of you have just talked about. And now it's time to formalize their commitment to Christ through an ordinance. This is like, absolutely, I, I, would, I would love to do that. But if we try to get someone to be baptized and to make a formal commitment to Christ when they don't even have faith in him and they haven't repented of their sins, baptism will just be this, this thing like, you're just trying to get me to join your church. But if we've done the first two parts correctly, they're just like almost coming to us and saying, I want to enter into this formal relationship. And that's really what an ordinance is. It's a day that it's a, it's a, it's an ordinance or something that you do that marks the day 
that you entered into a special covenant with Jesus Christ. It's, it's the day that I told Jesus that I'm all in, that I'm yours. I, I like to liken it unto kind of marriage. You know, you, you go through this dating process where you're just kind of getting to know each other and, and sometimes I, I'll get a benefit from, from going and hanging out. And I think some people are like that in their relationship with Jesus. Just like, what can he give me? But they don't ever get to the point when they're willing to say, I'm willing to give him everything. Baptism is that opportunity for them to say, you know what? I want to be one with you, Jesus. I want to be, I want to give my life to you. And uh, in that case, it, it just becomes one of the most special moments in their life. Help me understand the individual who doesn't make the connection between what we've just talked about and the need for this physical act of a baptism. In other words, an individual can feel, yes, I've done wrong, and yes, I, I, I want to make this change, and I will make this change. But now you're talking about, I've already been baptized, and, and I may not even accept the teachings of my religion that I grew up in, but I've made the change. I've made the change in my life, and God loves me, and I can move on. How do we help them connect between the two? Good question to ponder right here. I think, this, I think the Spirit gives them that connection. If they are truly coming unto Christ, I think this becomes a natural flow for them. In, in my mind, helping them understand that now they have to demonstrate to God they are willing to join with him, accept him as their Savior and this is my act of entering into a covenant, fully understanding what this means. And I enter into this covenant with all the symbolism, with all the, that associated with it, that now I'm, I'm connecting what I have done with the act. I would add one more thing with this too that I think would be really important, especially to the point of what you're saying about they've already been baptized is to help them recognize that if they really believe that Joseph Smith was called as a prophet and then therefore given the authority from God himself to baptize and ordain people and give God's power, that's really the key. And God is a God of order and authority. So we need to do it in the way that he's revealed. If they don't have a testimony that Joseph Smith was a prophet and helped, restore the gospel of Jesus Christ, then this has no meaning. Sean, I also have another point. At, at this place here, as we're teaching our friends about baptism and trying to help them make this commitment, I know on my mission, when I was serving on Troy University in Alabama, there was this cute boy that we were teaching from China. His name was Wavy, and he was such a good guy. And he had a lot of things that were kind of making it difficult for him to make this commitment. And one of those was he felt like he needed to know everything before he could enter into the waters of baptism. And I had referenced this talk before uh, when I was on the podcast, but Sherry Dew, um, will you engage in the wrestle? I love what she says here about this idea that you don't need to know everything. She says, questions are not just good, they're vital because the ensuing spiritual wrestle leads to answers to knowledge and to revelation. It also leads to greater faith. Men and women of faith are expected to have faith. While the Lord will reveal many things to us, he's never told us covenant people everything about everything. We are admonished to doubt not, but be believing. But doubting not does not mean understanding everything. And then she says, thus once the Spirit has borne witness to you that God is our Father and Jesus is the Christ, that Joseph Smith was a prophet called to restore the gospel and that we are led by a prophet today, then you know the gospel is true because the Spirit has borne witness of the foundational truths that uh, comprise a testimony. You have a testimony. How did it turn out for Wavy? He finally committed. (laughs) But it was right after I got transferred. So it was pretty sad I wasn't there as part of that a neat moment for him and his journey towards Christ. But we finally, I think it it eventually clicked that even as missionaries, you know, that are teaching him and helping him learn about Christ, we don't know everything about everything. That's faith. 
I think your example, Emily, underscores the symbolism of baptism, that it's literally just going under the water. It's like the death of our old self and then coming forth resurrected as a new person. I'm born again, which infers I'm just beginning. I'm not at the end of the road. A baby begins his, his life you know, fresh. I have a clean start. I have a desire, but I'm still in the beginning stages. I, I like to refer to baptism as the gate. A lot of people think of it as the finish line. I'm, I'm perfect, and so now I can be baptized. When really it's like, I have a desire. I have faith. I'm repenting. Therefore, I, I want to go through that gate. I want to commit myself to God. And then just as I get through that gate, God hands me this special gift called the gift of the Holy Ghost to help me continue on that journey. Because we realize this is going to take some, some help from heaven to be able to, to keep that baptismal covenant. I love that thought of a new beginning. We're, we're asking you to commit to a new beginning, and that's all you're doing. That's a lot easier to, for someone to agree to do than to feel like they're, they've arrived somehow. Yeah, and the perspective of your life, too, if you think about it, you know, most of us, when we're being raised in the church, we're baptized at age eight. Eight is not the finish line. It is definitely <laughs> the beginning. Yeah. And I think of the Savior's teaching that except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I, that used to mean for me that, that that was a checklist. It was something I needed to do. Uh, that somehow an angel would be on the other side of the veil with a list to say, wow, were you baptized? Yes, check. Did you receive the Holy Ghost? Check. But I'm starting to understand that, that this wasn't a coach posting a list saying you made the cut because you were baptized. He might be saying, except you're born of water and the Spirit, you'll never have the spiritual stamina and the help that, that you'll need that I can give you by, by taking the burden of sin, by allowing you to have the gift of the Holy Ghost in your life, to, to, to run the race of life and to walk and not be weary, uh, that, that we need the strengthening power of the Savior in our lives to be able to meet the demands and the challenges that come after we make this covenant. Uh, as, as members of the church, as, as people who live on planet Earth, and so I, I think this, this idea that, that the Lord just wants to bestow this great blessing upon us and he's invited us to enter into this covenant, it's only when we take his name on us, it's only when we remember him, it's only when we keep his commandments that he can then give us such rich blessings in our lives that we need to be able to get through this life. We need this covenant. So as missionaries, we're not seeking baptism from people, and God's not seeking baptism from us. God's wanting baptism for us because of what it will do to help us meet the demands of life. So let's let's transition into to talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I think there it's important for us to clarify here, what's the difference between somebody feeling the power of the Holy Ghost um, and then actually receiving this thing we call the gift of the Holy Ghost. We know that, for example, Joseph Smith was feeling the, the Holy Ghost when he was studying and, and seeking for truth, and that, that led him to the grove. He wasn't baptized and didn't have the gift yet. So what do you see as the, the difference between the power of the Holy Ghost and then this special thing that only comes after a commitment to be baptized? We used to teach this in such a simple way, but it worked because we would wear CTR rings. And so we would say, like, your finger is you, and the ring is the Holy Ghost. And as you enter into that covenant with God making those promises, that ring, he is with you constantly, and you just put it on your finger as, like, hey, simple visual. He is here as your constant. As we're striving to follow Jesus Christ and keep his commandments, he's there to help us and reassure us. I, I love listening to the words that are used when you are actually confirmed a member of the church. Those who have the authority lay their hands on your head and state this word. They, they confirm you a member of the church, and then they say, receive the Holy Ghost. They don't say, receive this gift, receive this, this power. They say, receive the Holy Ghost. And for me... It's a divine commandment. 
John, now live your life so that the Holy Ghost can be your constant companion. And so it's incumbent now upon me to live in such a way that I can have the constant companionship. And I love that word receive because what is it you're receiving when you receive the Holy Ghost? One is I'm receiving a constant companion to, to be a guide and a help and a strength throughout my life. But you also receive a remission of your sins. That's why baptism without receiving the Holy Ghost does not wash me clean. I love what the Savior taught in the Book of Mormon in 3 Nephi 27, verse 20. Now, this is the commandment, Repent all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me and be baptized in my name, that ye may be sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost. And we learn of the sanctifying, cleansing power. I had the opportunity to teach a wonderful man. Uh, He had been baptized before. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a different church. He loved the Savior. He was Christ-like in every way. Uh, and, and the thing he, he was, mo- he, he kind of said, you know, I've already been baptized. I'm kind of excited about receiving the Holy Ghost because I didn't do that. After his baptism, I said, how do you feel? He said, I feel lighter. I feel more free. What he experienced was, though he had been baptized, he had not received the sanctifying and cleansing power of the Holy Ghost to wash away all of his sins. And he felt that both physically and spiritually. And so when you talk about receiving, we receive a remission of our sins. And we receive this constant companion that we can draw strength from and be a guide for us the rest of our lives. I think if we can teach this in a way to help our friends understand what the Holy Ghost can give to them, this is a great incentive to want to be baptized. Like, I want that constant companionship. If baptism is, is what will help me receive that, I want to be baptized because I want the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is almost the thing that just is pulling people. Because look at some of the, the blessings mentioned here on page 67. We can receive and retain a remission of sins. Uh, next paragraph, we can enjoy his companionship throughout our lives. Uh, it testifies of Jesus Christ, helps us to recognize the truth, provides spiritual strength, and helps us to do what's right. He comforts us during times of trial or sorrow. He warns us of spiritual or physical danger. Uh, I mean, he gives us power to teach. I mean, those are all things. Wouldn't you just pay all kinds of money to have those incredible blessings? And this is what God wants to give to those who have been baptized and who have entered into this, this covenant with him. He wants to bless us. And I see that's, that's really what the gift of the Holy Ghost does. One thing that I noticed on my mission a lot is At times, people would say, I've been baptized before, but very few of them had then, in turn, received the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands. And so this was one way to say, hey, we understand that that you were baptized before, and we can congratulate them on how that baptism drew them closer to Christ, but we could then also teach them that the full baptism includes baptism of water and baptism of fire— And in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 1 to 6, we see an example of Paul coming upon some people who had been baptized with the baptism of John, uh, but who had never received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so it says then, Paul rebaptized them and then laid hands on their head and gave them the gift of the Holy Ghost. And for many of the people that you missionaries will be teaching, um, you will do the same thing. You will give them a rebaptism, followed by the baptism of fire or the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands. So we offer something very, very unique here. President Irene says, we all know that human judgment and logical thinking will not be enough to get answers to the questions that matter most in life. We need revelation from God. We need not just one flash of light and comfort, but we need the continuing blessing of communication with God. And the Holy Ghost provides that. Like he gives that constant communication with God. And then President Packer said, 
If all you know is what you see with your natural eyes and hear with your natural ears, then you will not know very much. And, and so as we, as we move to endure to the end, I think, I think what we're doing there, I, I, like, I like enjoy to the end instead of endure. Endure sounds a little bit like uh, I got to grind it out to the finish line. Of course, that's not what was intended by that word. But the idea is, is again, baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is just the beginning of our journey. And now we get to just continue to exercise faith. We get to continue to repent of our sins when we make mistakes that we surely will. Continue to keep the commitment that I made at baptism and, and take advantage of and follow the promptings of the Holy Ghost throughout my whole entire life, right? I think, Brian, you were sharing earlier a quote about Elder Rendland where, where he talks about this. He says, each element in the doctrine of Christ builds on the preceding step. Repentance builds on faith, baptism on repentance, the gift of the Holy Ghost on baptism. And then the sequence recurs. Each cycle ends progressively higher, so the subsequent cycle is higher and different. In this way, the doctrine of Christ is iterative. Cycling iteratively through the elements of the doctrine of Christ enables us to endure to the end. Enduring to the end is not a separate step in the doctrine of Christ, as if we complete the first four steps and then hunker down, grit our teeth, and wait to die. No, enduring to the end is actively and intentionally repeating the steps in the doctrine of Christ. Thus, the doctrine of Christ becomes central to the purposes of life. In Preach My Gospel, page 6, it says, regarding enduring to the end, that individuals who exercise faith in Christ and in his atonement, repent, enter into the covenant of baptism, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, then they endure to the end, or in other words, they continue throughout their lives in exercising faith in Jesus Christ, repenting, and renewing the covenants they have made. These are not just steps that they experience once in their lives, Rather, when repeated throughout life, these principles become an increasingly rewarding pattern of living. That's your enjoying to the end. It becomes a joyful experience. And it gives a whole new meaning when I go to sacrament meeting every Sunday. I'm not just going to a meeting because I'm told to attend church every Sunday. I'm now going as part of a process of enduring to the end. So I think the, the ordinance of the sacrament then is at the heart of this concept of enduring to the end. It's, it's a recognition that we need the Savior. We need to come unto Christ every day, every week. We need a remission of our sins continuously. We need to participate in what President Nelson calls joyful daily repentance. And it helps the missionary teach those that they're working with understand why they need to attend church every Sunday. It's not just a meeting. It's to go through this process and have that covenant, that ordinance available to them every Sunday. And if and if those we're teaching can understand this cycle that we work through, as you said, Sean, daily and weekly right, then, then they'll be less hesitant to take that big step into baptism. They see it as, as one step forward in an ongoing cycle throughout their lives. It also would help the recent convert who relapses and after his baptism sins, which is no surprise to our Heavenly Father. I mean, he does allow us to take the sacrament every week. 52 times a year minus state conference and <laughs> general conference. How much confidence does he have that we're going to keep that first covenant? He really doesn't have great confidence that we're going to keep it the first time we make it. But through a lifetime of, of cycling through the doctrine of Christ. I also think of our missionaries who struggle forgiving themselves. And though they've repented, they continue to beat themselves up. And if they understood this process, this, this, this joyful process of continuing forward when we've fallen down, uh, I, I think they would be able to move forward at a much faster pace and, and turn outward so that they can help others do the same. This is why we call this the great plan of happiness. It's not the, this stressful experience of trying to, 
to make sure we do everything perfect in God's eyes. It's We can be happy and joyful as we endure to the end and as we engage on the covenant path because through Jesus Christ, we know that he is with us, that he will help us every time we fall. We have the gift of the Holy Ghost to guide us and, and to direct us. We have the grace of Christ. We have all of these things that, that should make life on the covenant path the happy life. When we're off the covenant path, that's when we're miserable. That's when we're alone. That's when we're experiencing um, things with, without the, the help of heaven. So I mentioned at the first of the lesson that, that one of the objectives of this lesson was to get to the point of inviting them to actually be baptized. And on page 69, there's a red box that gives us the words that you could use when inviting someone to be baptized. The question I have, John, and I think many of our listeners would have is, when do you invite somebody to be baptized? Well, I would answer by reading on page 40 of Preach My Gospel, where it says, as directed by the Spirit during this or any other lesson, do not hesitate to invite people to be baptized and confirmed with a caution. And this caution comes from President Down H. Oaks, uh, and he says the baptismal invitation is not just something that you raise with an investigator as soon as possible to get a commitment. It is something that must be put in the context of the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. Then a baptismal commitment will be timely and persuasive and will fulfill its purpose. And the time that commitment is made or that subject is raised should vary according to the circumstances of the individual being taught and according to the promptings of the Spirit. He then, in the next broadcast, said, When in the process of an individual investigator's learning should this essential challenge be given? Not too soon, but not too late. And that puts the responsibility on the missionary to be in tune with the Spirit and understand where they are with the individual or with the family they're teaching so that they can extend that invitation at the right time. I would also say, too, just don't let fear get in the way. You know, trust your thoughts and feelings. And if you're feeling like I need to extend this, extend it and trust that God's behind it. And I love how you've taught me, John, that that even a no answer is not a bad answer because then you can ask them, why do you not feel comfortable being baptized? And then that can expose maybe a deficiency in their faith or a lack of understanding somewhere along the way. Or a gap in our own a teaching. A gap in our own teaching. We wouldn't have known that had we not extended the invitation. But because we extend the invitation, now we can resolve concerns. We can begin to buoy up their faith. We can start to really direct our teaching in, in a different way so that so, at some future point, they'll feel comfortable saying yes. I think missionaries have a tendency to want to hear the yes and then they high-five as opposed to, as messengers of Jesus Christ, to extend that invitation as Christ would extend and then in a loving way teach whatever the response is, teach to that response. This allows people to use their agency. We don't take their agency away from them by not inviting them. And it gives the missionary their next step. Well, I, uh, I think missionaries too, as you're listening to this, just remember what your purpose is, right? Your purpose is to invite people to come to Christ. And if you can always remember that that's our goal, that's our end, <laughs> that we're trying to help them get to, like keep that in mind with this lesson. Remember that it's all about him and making promises with him. And keep in mind too, um, just referencing back to this talk, it's just so good <laughs> from Sherry Douche. She says, you cannot think your way to conversion because you cannot convince your mind of something your heart does not feel. So just help the people you're teaching recognize that their thoughts and their feelings are helping them on their road to conversion of Christ and help them just recognize that, like often ask them questions, see if they're understanding what you're teaching, keep it simple. And I know that this is Christ's gospel and his doctrine. It's not missionaries gospel and doctrine so trust that he's the author of this and he will know how to influence you and help you help others come to him sean i'm wondering if we could extend the invitation to all the listeners to turn to page 40 and preach my gospel 
and memorize the invitation to be baptized and confirmed. Uh, note in that last paragraph on page 40, it says the invitation to be baptized and confirmed should be specific and direct. And this is what we would like to invite all the listeners to do, to memorize that specific statement. Will you follow the example of Jesus Christ by being baptized by someone holding the priesthood authority of God? We will be holding a baptismal service on, make up the date, Will you prepare yourself to be baptized on that date? I'm so grateful for, for this lesson and for the knowledge that we have that's been restored through the prophet that enables us to know what we need to do, not only to return back to the presence of Heavenly Father, but to become like Him as we engage along the covenant path. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast and that it helps you in your study of Preach My Gospel and preparing you for your mission. Please join us for our next episode. And if you feel this podcast might be helpful to others preparing to serve a mission, please invite them to join us on our journey through and discovery of Preach My Gospel. For more information on how to get institute credit for this podcast and other offerings by the Utah Valley Institute of Religion, please visit utahvalleyinstitute.com. You may also find us on Instagram at Preach My Gospel Podcast. Feel free to send questions or comments to preachmygospelpodcast at gmail.com. The Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast is produced with the permission of the Utah Valley Institute of Religion. The hosts are expressing their personal views based on their own experiences, applying the principles of Preach My Gospel, and accept full responsibility for the content in these podcast episodes.